today I'm very honored to be joined by Spencer Fernando, the host of the popular media site, Spencer Fernando. All right, everyone, welcome back to episode 52 of Conservative Roundup. Today I'm proud to be joined by Spencer Fernando, the conservative activist and the host of the popular media, media site, Spencer Fernando. Well, thank you so much for being here, Spencer. It's great to have you. Yeah, good to talk to you. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first? Yeah, well, I've been uh, involved in kind of politics for one way, one way or the other for quite a while, uh, different political parties. Got myself into trouble a lot because I tend to be pretty outspoken, which, you know, often within the political structure, I'm not a big fan of that. So kind of better for me to do my own thing and just write my own opinions. And that's worked out pretty well lately. Perfect. Well, what, what kind of made you uh, want to jump into this type of uh, well, work? Uh, you know, I was always interested in kind of why the world was the way it is, you know, what you know, the problems were in the world, kind of who was in charge of you know, trying to fix things or who was responsible for making things worse. And, you know, that kind of leads you to politics in many ways. You know, also interested in uh, economics as well. It's all kind of connected. So just trying to, you know, as a young person, trying to understand the world and kind of seeing where that would lead. Uh, it's definitely interesting because now we we have all these in Canada we have all these socialist parties just popping up right now. I mean, we have the Liberals, we have the NDP, the Bloc, and the Greens, right? Yeah, it, it, it's so it, it, it's so hard right now to to hold them to account as well because you have all these biased media sites. We have CTV, CBC, we have CP Twenty Four. I mean, how can it, how conservatives rely on their news these days is from from outlets like yours true north rebel media it, there, there's so many key components to conservative news these days right yeah i mean the internet's you know definitely made that a lot better social media especially but as you can see with bill c10 and what the liberals are trying to do i think they're getting worried about that right they're like oh wait a minute you know we've already tried to bail out and give money to the the traditional media companies but now people are going elsewhere and so once they start realizing that's happening then they get a little bit concerned, and uh, I think that's that's what they're trying to do. So I think we all have to watch out for that and push back against that. I mean, yeah, because de- last week we learned that the uh, the block would be supporting the bill, so it, it looks like C10 is going to pass. I mean, just last week, also or later last week, we learned that it affects podcasts, news sites, mm-hmm. media, like all all sorts of media. Is it, it doesn't surprise me as well that, that Justin Trudeau would, would push to do this. I mean, it, imagine if he had a majority government that he could do this. I mean, this would pa- be passed through with no time. Yeah, there's not much resistance. It's interesting, you know, you read some of these stories and apparently some liberal MPs were uh, actually a little bit concerned about C-10, but they obviously didn't speak out enough. Mm. And apparently it's quite popular in Quebec. You know, I was reading that uh, apparently Stephen Gilbo, he's kind of viewed as a clown in most of the country, but in Quebec he's apparently really popular. And the liberals kind of let him say whatever he wants there. So it's it's kind of there's two there's two things happening, and there's kind of what, what English Canada is seeing with C-10 and then what Quebec is seeing. And this is really, I think, about the Liberals trying to win in Quebec. And you saw that with uh, Trudeau's first response to, I think it's Bill 96 in Quebec, where they're trying to basically saying, yeah, we can unilaterally rewrite the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And Trudeau said, yeah, they can do that. So, I mean, he's he's trying to win in Quebec. And the polls actually show it's kind of working for him, which is unfortunate. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. I mean, that's it's almost like the, the double standard as well. Because now we have Justin Trudeau as well as Aaron O'Toole is going to let Quebec unilaterally changed the constitution. I mean, such as a, a Twitter that MP Rempel Rempel Garner put out is, if that happens, then well, then why can't Alberta unilaterally change Section Thirty Eight, which is the equalization, right? Yeah, I wrote about that. I said, you know, I think people you often see, especially conservatives, they criticize Quebec 
uh, for what they do. I say, look, learn from Quebec. Quebec pushes their interests. Whether you agree or not with their policies, they definitely stand up for their interests and, and what they think benefits them. Mm. So the question isn't why is Quebec doing that? It really should be why isn't the rest of the country doing that? You know, why aren't other provinces doing that? And so Jason Kenney, he, I think he, he said that he supported uh, what Quebec was doing. And he kind of made the same point. You know, he said, look, I'm, I'm saying this because in Alberta, we want to do something similar. So yeah, Quebec, go ahead and have that and we'll see what Alberta does. So yeah, Alberta should, should certainly say, yeah, I mean, we're going to amend the equalization formula. We're done paying into this. Yeah. You know, let's amend the constitution. Why not? Yeah. That's the thing too, right? It's, it, what you just described to me, it's almost different as, as to what it is in Ontario. With, with Ontario, there's almost uh, a double standard, but with this, it almost seems like a triple standard almost, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. It, it's... Yeah, I mean, Alberta gets treated, in, in, I think, in many ways in the worst way, because you see a lot of provinces say, oh, your, your oil is dirty, we don't want your oil running through our province, but we're going to keep taking the money you generate because you're producing oil, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's totally a double standard, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, everyone everyone likes to you know, criticize Alberta and say, oh, the, the product is, is bad for the environment, but everyone's still using it and everyone's glad to take. I mean, I think I see, sometimes I see people on the left and they'll say, oh, why didn't Alberta put uh, put all their money away in a rainy day fund for a crisis? Like, because they still say, oh, Norway did that, right? Norway saves a, a portion of their oil revenue and puts it away in a crisis. Well, I mean, Alberta's had about $600 billion extracted from it from the rest of the country. So w- w- what do you expect them to do? Just cut funding everywhere, have no schools and put it all? I mean, you can't do that, right? So it's it's very strange people who say, on the one hand, you know, Alberta should give all their money to the rest of the country. But on the other hand, they shouldn't be able to have the industry that generates that money in the first place. Definitely. And then, then we have self-proclaimed people like, like Francois Legault and... Uh, uh, the leader of the Bloc Québécois, Blanchard, who believes that they uh, that they think that they should be in control of what Alberta produces and gives away. Yeah, and BC tried that too, right? BC mm-hmm. basically said, "Yeah, we don't want your pipelines going through our province." And Alberta was like, "All right, we'll just stop sending oil to you." And they're like, "No, no, no, not not that much. We we want <laughs> we want to be able to tell you exactly how much we want, but not not let any more than that." Mm-hmm. And they they actually lost in court on that. So that does leave the option for Alberta if they wanted to to. Uh, you know, cut off oil and gas supplies to another province. And you hope it doesn't come to that. I mean, that's obviously a sign of a country that's not functioning well. Mm-hmm. But if Alberta keeps being mistreated, you can't really blame them. I mean, you, you ask yourself, what would Quebec do if Quebec was Alberta, right? Mm-hmm. Quebec wouldn't hesitate to say, look, we're not giving you oil unless you agree to these lists of demands, right? Yeah. So maybe Alberta needs to play some more hardball. And that, I think that's a lot of what Albertans expected to to sort of play out when, when Jason Kenney was elected to because Jason Kenney put himself forward as someone that will get the job done and that will kind of stand up to, to the rest of Ottawa and Quebec. But now it's kind of a mix-up now because we're, we're kind of seeing him bend back on a lot of those policies that he said that he was going to, to get done under if he was elected premier. Yeah, I kind of the sense with Kenney a bit is that he kind of still has one foot in Ottawa, right? Like he he still probably wants to be the leader of the Conservative Party, right, and become prime minister. So if he's if he's too antagonistic with the federal government, I think he worries that that will kind of close that opportunity for him, right? He won't be able to do that uh, if he's you know too pro Alberta or too strong in defending Alberta's interests or playing hardball, as I mentioned earlier. But the issue is that I mean that's not really fair to Albertans, right? It's you know they shouldn't be they shouldn't get you know be. Uh, denied strong leadership just because someone's you know interested in a future political career right i mean so 
And again, that's that's another thing with uh, Quebec. You know, you don't see like Francois Legault. I don't think he plans on becoming prime minister. Obviously, the leader of the bloc doesn't. So they don't really they don't really care about that, right? They're not really constrained by saying, "Oh, I'm going to have to win over the whole country one day." They just kind of say, "Look, uh, what's in the best interest of Quebec, and I'm going to do that." So Alberta probably needs uh, more of that mindset from whoever leads the province. And definitely, I think because right now, like at this point, like we we're, we're going into uh, the federal election with three right-wing parties, the Mavericks, the PPC, and the Conservatives, as well now as, well, Jason Kenney's going into, well, actually, this is the case for Ontario and Alberta. Alberta has the, the UCP, the United Conservative Party, I believe, and the and as well as the Wild Rose Independence Party in Ontario is going in with the PCs and the New Blues. It, it, it's almost, because with these certain types of conservative leaders, for example, Doug Ford and, and Jason Kenney, I mean, they, they tend to, to kick out the conservatives that, that tend to, dis, to disagree with them, right? Yeah, it's, and it's, it's kind of, it's the difference between how they run for leadership and how they actually campaign. And you see it somewhat in all parties, but it's much more, um, it's much more dramatic, I know, with conservatives. Like, Justin Trudeau didn't really transform into a different kind of politician uh, as he, you know, as he campaigned as, as a liberal, you know, when he was running for the liberal leadership. He didn't just reverse a bunch of liberal things. He's actually probably gone more to the left. I mean, he initially was campaigning almost as kind of a more libertarian type, right? And then that went away pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So, but with, with yeah, with Jason Kenney, Doug Ford, you know, and Aaron O'Toole, certainly with the, the carbon tax flip, you know, they campaign in a certain way, and then it's almost like once they get into office, they spend much of their time telling conservatives why they can't give them what they want, right? So, like, the Liberals will, and NDP and Greens all tell conservatives, you can't have anything you want, and then conservative leaders running for the leadership say, oh, I can give you all this, and then they get in and they say, actually, you can't really have this, and here's why. So, it's it's kind of like the whole political structure is almost geared towards denying conservatives uh, the policies and uh, and uh, results that they they expect, and I definitely feel that with with, with the, when people when those uh, three leaders specifically were were kind of put forward as the leaders in the the almost the true blues in a way is that I don't feel bad for the grassroots members that voted for them. I feel bad for the actual social conservatives that endorsed them and actually went alongside that alongside. Right, I mean, we're kind of back to the the twenty twenty conservative leadership race. We we had. Aaron O'Toole put himself forward as the the true blue candidate, and and it's it's almost like a wolf's in a wolf in a sheep's clothing, right? Because now we're getting this red left Tory that that's that kind of came as a as a true blue, almost like a solution to the party, right? Yeah, and it's it's you know it's the way he did it too. I mean, there's there's a way you can be kind of subtle and say, look, you know, the party, the Conservative Party needs a lot of different types of people. You know, it's going to need libertarian types and socially moderate people. Uh, and more socially conservative people, and you know you have to balance all of that. But you know, O'Toole very he he flipped dramatically, right? At first, he he was he was saying, "I'm the only one who would defend Derek Sloan. I'm the only one who stood up for Derek Sloan." And then he wants to get rid of Sloan, and he does it in kind of the ugliest way possible, right? Like taking a donation from you know a, a bad guy and saying, "This is Derek Sloan's fault. He's responsible." That's not really how it works, right? I mean, the party processes the, the donation. Uh, you know, individual candidates. There's no way you can track every single person. You're not going to your office every day. Give me the list of uh, donors every single day. Let me see. There's no one controversial on there. So just the way he flipped so dramatically. And then the carbon tax office, right? I mean, even days before he flipped on it, he was telling people, no, no, we're not going to do anything like that. You know, we're fighting the carbon tax. And then he tries to say, oh, it's not a tax. It's a levy or it's, it's, you know, because it goes into a, a private fund. 
which of course you can only spend on what the, the government would tell you you can spend it on. So yeah, I think you're seeing uh, disillusionment among conservatives across the country with provincial and federal leadership. Definitely. I mean, to, to Derek's point as well, I mean, in reality, when you, when you look at the donation, I think the donation was $110.20 to be exact. You, you For Elections Canada, you, you don't get the names of everyone that's donated under $200. That's completely private. The only two people that have access to that is actually Derek Sloan himself and Aaron O'Toole. It, it, it's almost, and then kind of what I was spoken to the previous MPs about this, I have a couple of them, uh, almost of, almost they, they flip-flopped on what he was actually getting expelled for. First, it was accepting from a white supremacist, and then it was to being untrustworthy as well. Yeah, I remember that, right? They said, oh, yeah, first it was it was only about the donation, right? This is unacceptable. And then after the meeting, oh, it was, yeah, it was a wide range of uh, behavioral issues with Sloan that we were upset about. And, yeah, I mean, it's obviously BS, right? I mean, sure, maybe a lot of them didn't like him. But uh, you can imagine, because uh, that meeting was supposed to be quick and it went on for hours, right? You know, mm-hmm. people were like, what's going on here, you know? So I think what, what probably happened was, you know, O'Toole got a lot of pushback and they basically said, look, we don't like this at all, but we'll totally undermine you if we don't go along with it. It's like the first big move that O'Toole tried to make. And if, if his own MPs blocked him, I guess they felt he'd be weakened too much, but he put them in a terrible situation. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very, you know, I'm not even a big Derek Sloan fan, but he, he just, you know, from a, a basic human decency perspective, you know, to try to screw someone over like that, you know, that's 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 a very gross thing to do, and I think very unfair to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he's he's still active. You know, maybe he'll he'll do something that, you know, draws attention to himself or you know, hurts the Conservative Party and. It's a little bit similar with Maxine Bernier. You know, the Conservative Party seems to have a bit of a problem with being able to keep people uh, in the tent and, you know, kind of win over people who are not too happy. And the successful parties manage to keep those people inside, and the Conservatives seem unable to do that lately. Definitely, yeah. It, it, just speaking with Derek on here as, as well, like one of his good points was that a lot of when kind of like his, his well, what the con- other conservatives said was was controversial with him and Dr. Tammy, and he was proven right. He that point was vindicated months later on. But a lot of what he what a good point he made was that the media completely covered that, but when you kind of moved over to this. They like the media knew that it was BS as well, right? Because they they didn't even cover it at all. Maybe you get a <clears throat> typical post, but like the first that first thing that he well, what the conservatives kind of painted him as was it got complete national coverage. You got you got Rosemary Barton on it. You had the CTV. You you had everyone on it, and then, and then it just completely like like it's nothing as as all. I t- to that point as well. I mean. When you try and do that to someone as well, that's not going to come back to, to get you very well. Like with with Aaron, told me we we've had quote unquote there's there there's no place for the far right in the party. I mean, end of quote. And then there's a lot of other points where like such as the carbon tax. Days up to it, you said uh, was that he wasn't going to support. It. And then the day of, it's where we're going to introduce the our own carbon pricing as well. I mean, that that's not going to go over too well with a lot of social conservatives as as well. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of taking people for granted, right? Like assuming you can lie to them and that they'll still donate to you and still, you know, vote for you and still volunteer for you, right? And and the problem is the conservatives already face a tough situation because much of the media is against them. So you need very committed donors, you need very committed volunteers and activists. And if you demoralize those people, then when the election happens, your, your party machinery and infrastructure is a lot weaker than it should be. And that's the danger he, he creates uh, with what O'Toole is doing. And again, it's not like it's going to look dramatic, but, you know, the last election was decided by, you know, what, 30 or so ridings. 
uh, that were pretty close, right? So, you know, if, if what O'Toole does, you know, fails to win over, you know, the centrist voters he says he's chasing, and so far the polls show he's struggling there, and say he loses even 2 or 3% to a few splinter right-wing parties, well, you know, that's going to make a big difference. So mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, in certain, I've written before in certain areas of the country where, you know, maybe the conservatives are very strong, I think people should consider perhaps voting for, you know, one of the other uh, conservative parties just to send a message, say, look, you can't get away with this. Obviously, if if your MP is in a close race against a liberal and they're a conservative, you know, certainly you don't want to do that because Mm -hmm. you'd be helping the liberals win. But I think there needs to be some strategic voting just to send a message that, look, you can't take your, your party base for granted. And there are consequences for that. Definitely. To, to that point as well, I mean, going back over like these last couple of weeks and like the last month, I think it was the first 100 days, was that you you really have to look at the polls and see kind of where he, he's gone as leader. And this is Andrew Shear's case as well. I, mean, I believe that Andrew Shear went up at, by 10 to 12 percent within his first 100 days with the popular vote. I mean, now we're looking at Aaron O'Toole's polls in the first 100 days. He hasn't even gone up at all. I mean, he's only he's declined in BC. Ontario's down another five percent, and Quebec's was gained two percent, right? It, it's, it, I think, because with Stephen Harper, for example, I mean, he balanced voter voter appeal and party party ideals perfectly, and now we, we've kind of shifted from Andrew Shear, more like a moderate, yeah, a bit of both, more so a little little bit of voter appeal to to completely now to Aaron O'Toole's completely lopsided to to voter appeal yeah and you know it's it's interesting i think the one problem the conservative party has is they keep uh kind of falling for media narratives right and so because what what o'toole is doing with the carbon tax is everyone in the media after the election started saying oh the conservatives they didn't win because they didn't have a good climate plan right Mm -hmm. except nobody was actually talking about that really in the 2019 election the issue was that Shearer had trouble answering questions uh, on social conservative issues, right? He just, like, maybe he hadn't prepared or he was just uncomfortable talking about it. But he struggled to answer in a way that would reassure a lot of people. And that was considered the big issue, right? So, okay, uh, I guess the party will, you know, kind of be, they'll change their messaging on that, right? Which they did. But then all of a sudden, no, no, the issue is actually uh, that you you don't have enough of a climate plan, right? So the, the media and the left is very, has become very adept at making the conservatives kind of chase left-wing policy to think they're going to win. But of course, like what will happen is in the next election, you know, even the groups that said, oh, we kind of like what O'Toole is talking about in the environment. Well, the liberals will promise to go further in the election. Mm-hmm. And then those groups will say, oh, the conservative plan falls short. It's just not enough. Right. Mm-hmm. And so and then if O'Toole loses, they'll say, oh, he lost because he didn't have a, an aggressive enough climate plan. Right. So they're always going to keep you know, moving the goals and trying to make the conservatives chase uh, their approval. And that's not really the way for them to go, because then, of course, you betray your own supporters. And then you're not really, you know, shifting the direction of the country. You're just chasing it further left all the time. Definitely. I mean, yeah. Also, as well, right? Because when when you try and balance this, I mean, conservatives here in Canada, like if you say one thing, like it's, it's like off, like the media just bites you in the butt with it, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's yeah. everything goes right after you, and the conservatives, they they don't stick up for each other. They're, they're not like we're gonna rally behind this one person and we'll just leave them to to fight it on their own. I mean, to like the Republicans in the states. I mean, if one person steps out of line, maybe or or says something that's maybe right, but not well good to why the 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 democrats think it's kind of all the republicans go in front of them and and they actually stick together as one united party and they deal with it all together to the conservatives here they just leave the one person out to to rot right 
Yeah, in the States, there also seems to be more of a kind of acceptance that being in the same party doesn't mean that everyone has to agree on everything too, right? Mm -hmm. Like you see, I mean, a good example would be Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell. They're both senators in the same state, in the same political party, and they've got very different views. I mean, Mitch McConnell, much more of a, you can say, neoconservative, pro-intervention, more pro-establishment, and, uh, you know, Rand Paul, obviously, you know, totally against military intervention, uh, you know, wants to reduce the U.S., uh, you know, kind of military footprint, very much a libertarian, you know, limited government. And, you know, they both, they, they'll disagree on some issues, agree on others, and, and no one ever says, oh, you know, you can't be in the same party. Whereas in Canada, you know, if a conservative says something that is, isn't exactly what the, the leader of the party wants to say, well, they'll just boot them out, right? So mm-hmm. it, it kind of, the problem is over time, you end up with just a lot of people who are basically... Either they don't speak their minds because they're afraid or they just don't really have much of a mind at all and they're just willing to, to do whatever their leader tells them. And certainly some party loyalty is important, but you know, a country of you know, millions of people, a lot of different people, a political party seeking to represent much of the country, you're going to have a lot of different political viewpoints even among people who consider themselves conservative. So if you try to suppress all of that, then, then you end up with what they're seeing, right? You get a bunch of splinter parties forming and that's, that's kind of their problem. Definitely, and some, I mean some some key individuals with that. There's there's Roman Bauer, Randy Hillier, Belinda Carhalios, Drew Barnes, Derek Sloan. Like, they're, they're, like have you like have you ever heard anyone other than Derek Sloan or Maxine Bernier or Randy Hillier that that says lockdowns are no good compared to the Republicans in in the states? I mean, it's only like those two that say absolutely no. And from from Aaron O'Toole's perspective, it's lockdowns are bad, but we're not going to get anti-lockdown on that, right? Yeah, I mean, there's been, I think, Michelle Rempel-Garner and uh, Pierre Polya have kind of gone a little bit in that direction, obviously not fully against lockdowns, but, mm. you know, critical of, of some things, and, and then mostly just blaming uh, the lack of vaccines, which is true. I mean, the Trudeau government did a terrible job on vaccines, which does make things more difficult. But one of the problems is you don't really see anyone in Canada, aside, I'd say, mostly from Pierre Polyev, especially on fiscal issues, who's actually really making like a conservative argument on things, right? And what I mean by that is it's not just like O'Toole saying, you know, we'll administer the government better than the liberals will. You know, it's it's the idea that, you know, government policy itself has become a big problem. And you see Pierre Polyev talking about uh, the monetary system, all the money printing that's going on, which is a big problem, the overspending, mm-hmm. how that's obviously going to create inflation, devalue the currency, uh, hurt people who save, you know, make everything more expensive. So it's like it's the inflation tax, he calls it, right? It's a tax on everything, but it's hidden, and so that's a big problem with government policy. So he's making kind of a coherent, conservative argument, but you don't really see that too much. I mean, O'Toole said he won't balance the budget for another decade, so that's another decade of you know, you know debt and deficits going up. So I think that's kind of a problem the conservative party has too, which is that they're not, they're kind of afraid to actually be conservative. And they kind of offer just, oh, we'll, we'll manage the government a little better than the liberals, which that's going to appeal to some people, I guess. But uh, it makes it easy because the liberals are always offering uh, more money for people. Definitely. I mean, looking at my generation specifically, I mean, 75% of my generation is more likely to vote for a socialist than a, than a, than a capitalist. And that's the sad part, right? Because we're going into, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're approaching this generation that only looks at well, what what's in it for me? How does this only for me specifically? They they don't look at all of Canada as a whole. They look at them specifically. So, for example, I mean, 
they're more likely to vote for Jagmeet Singh than they are Justin Trudeau because Jagmeet Singh's more of a open socialist, more of free this, free that. We're gonna we're gonna give you this, more virtue signaling in a way. Yeah, and I think one of the problems is that you know whether you could say it's capitalists or conservatives, they've done a very terrible job explaining uh, socialism and capitalism to people for it because. So you talk to a young person, you say, hey, uh, you know, the nice uh, sneakers you got there. Uh, you know, you're, you're a TikTok influencer. How's that working out for you? Oh, great. You know, I go on TikTok and I make money and, you know, people give me money, you know, however that works. And I go to the store. I, I just bought a new car with some of the money I made. This is awesome. And, uh, oh, great. Um, but your, your next door neighbor doesn't have shoes as nice as yours and doesn't have a car. So maybe you should split the usage of your car and maybe give your shoes to them, right? Because they need it more than you. And they'll say, absolutely not. I worked for this. I earned this. This is mine, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're thinking like a capitalist. But then you ask them, who are you going to vote for? Oh, Jagmeet Singh. I mean, he's going to tax the, the rich and he's going to, you know, he's going to help everybody. So there's a, a big disconnect people have, right? Like in their own lives, they're capitalists and they like having money and they feel that if they work hard, they've earned their money and they should get to spend it. Uh, but, you know, the second they think of politics, it's like, yeah, I'll vote for a socialist. And kind of the issue with that is, Everyone always looks at the person above them and says, oh, this person's richer than me. I should have what they have. They should. The government should take that and give me some of it. Mm-hmm. But they forget there's someone below them looking up at them saying, this person's richer than me. I should have some of what they have, and the government should give it to me, right? So mm-hmm. I think there needs to be more of an explanation. And, you know, people think, oh, socialism's great because of, you know, health care and, you know, the fire department and the police and, you know, we, the roads, that's all paid for. That's all socialism. Mm-hmm. But the countries that have the best public services are the countries that have the strongest capitalist economies because you need to generate the wealth in the first place. So I think that argument needs to be made more to people. Uh, Otherwise, as you say, you know, there's going to be a whole generation that's going to vote for socialism and they're probably going to be a little surprised at what that turns out to be. Mm. Oh, definitely key examples of socialism is Venezuela and Cuba, both failed countries. uh, And somehow people just seem to, to look to that. I mean, for some examples, well, looking Going back to the teachers' unions protests in uh, uh, Niagara Falls back in, I believe it was 2019, early 2020 maybe, and David Menzies was outside, the, it was actually the PC Convention Center, and David Menzies was outside, and you see all these teachers, and, and all their signs, they just magically said, socialism is great, capitalism is bad. And actually, those same teachers are the teachers that get over 100 k a year and whine and complain that they make less than a, than a CYW or a, or a PSW makes. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it, it seems like there's been a real misunderstanding of socialism. And I remember there was a really interesting, uh, I think, a video Jordan Peterson had done. And he talked about how our society has very strong, uh, kind of very strong, somehow collective warning signal for fascism. Right? And you see it all the time. People say, oh, this, this seems like fascism. Uh, this is like Nazism. This is dangerous. But he says we don't seem to have that kind of instinct for the danger of uh, socialism, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if you read about history, I mean, you know, Joseph Stalin, and I'm not comparing, you know, you know, Jagmeet Singh or, or politicians to Stalin at all. But just the point is, Stalin used rhetoric that is actually very similar to what a lot of socialists talk about now, which is redistribution of wealth. I, you know, you know, punishing the rich, making things fair. And I think people need to read more of history and realize that, you know, someone someone can talk about making the world equal, but it's it's bas- it's impossible to lift everybody up to the top, right? You can't make the world equal by doing that because it's just people don't have the same skills, the same points, and you're not going to make everybody rich just by saying, oh, we'll just you know, give out money or, or we'll, we'll punish the rich. 
but you can make everyone equal by lowering everybody to the same level and that's what you end up seeing in you know communist states of course the leaders live in luxury like like we see everywhere mm-hmm. but yeah it's, it's very easy to make the world equal by lowering everybody to the bottom uh, and then that often is accomplished through force and so i think people need to realize how uh, violent and destructive and you know millions you know tens of millions if not hundreds of millions of people died under communist regimes people need to realize that didn't just start with oh yeah we're gonna go and kill a bunch of people it started with oh we're gonna you know punish the people who have too much as they say and we're gonna make everything that often leads to a very dark place so i think we need to just as we're it's it's we're rightfully worried about fascism we need to be rightfully worried about communism and socialism and realize that's a big threat as well definitely and to the states as well i mean between can i mean Liberals and NDP people, they, they try and cover up their, their little socialism in, inside. I mean, and then compared to Democrats in the states, they actually like they come out as, as socialists as well. And that's the same as the, as well as the, the Labour Party in the in the UK. It, it's kind of it, with the leaders, with liberal and far left leaning leaders, it, it's do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, I mean, they don't uh, I mean. You look at uh, well Hugo Chavez first, and then of course uh, Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when that country was starving, they they didn't seem to be losing any weight, right? I mean, Nicolas Maduro looks pretty well fed. All his top officials look well fed. Mm-hmm. So of course, I mean, that's kind of the hypocrisy of leaders everywhere. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Justin Trudeau, uh, he he lives a pretty you know elite lifestyle. Jagmeet Singh, actually, and it's interesting. Jagmeet Singh, he drives, and this is not a criticism. I mean, he worked hard and he he earned a lot of what he got. I think he was a lawyer or something. Uh, so it's not a criticism of him, but he likes to wear nice suits, which is great. The world, I think, needs more of a fashion sense for sure. Uh, you know, he, you know, him and his wife, they're very glamorous. They have a nice lifestyle, which is good for them. Uh, he drives nice cars. I think he likes nice watches. I mean, that's great. But I mean, that's all engaging in a capitalist economy and kind of using the money you've earned through work to you know dress a certain way and kind of show off a certain status. So to have that attitude and then be a very socialist person politically it's a little bit hypocritical, right? It's like, you know, what, what do you think is going to result from that? Do you think people are going to look and say, well, you get to be rich, but you don't, and we're just going to pick and choose as opposed to just uh, people's work ethic sorting it out? So it's, it's a bit of a criticism, and people don't seem to realize that. And that's, I think, part of the problem, again, that conservatives have is they've struggled to coherently argue with their policies and, and their ideology. And so they, a lot of people, a lot of young people think, oh, Jagmeet Singh seems pretty cool and he's a socialist, so I guess socialism is cool. And that's as far as some people think about it, and it doesn't really end up in a good place. Yeah, I think one day as well, 2019, 2018, he was, one day he was, he was giving a press conference in Ottawa, and it's, well, why, why can't the, the poor do anything? We should give all our money to them. And then he's later seen with like a $5,000 suit and a $2,000 watch. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah. Yeah, it's definitely hypocritical. Yeah, it, it's just the thing. Such as just I mean, with Justin Trudeau last uh, last Easter of twenty twenty, it's don't go see your family. You can't see them. You sh- you shouldn't see them. And then he goes across provincial lines and went and sees his family for Easter as well. Yeah, and that's you know I write about how you know we we call politicians public servants and that's what they're supposed to be but i mean that's obviously not how servants act like servants aren't supposed to live better than the people they serve right mm-hmm. you'd be kind of surprised if you went you know you had someone a really rich friend and they said oh yeah i've got i've got uh, five servants and he went to their home and your friend was living in a shack and the servants were living in the mansion you'd be kind of like isn't that's 
it's kind of seems a little opposite. So, yeah, we, we call our politicians public servants, but they, they act much more like rulers, right, which is they impose rules on us that we have to follow or we get punished, but they are exempted from the rules. Mm-hmm. And we saw that, you know, with the lockdowns and politicians, you know, Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau, yeah, we're all in this together. Yeah, but you guys get a guaranteed salary, and you get paid no matter what happens, and you have no financial worries whatsoever because your pay is guaranteed, and so your your, you know, you get uh, your uh, increase every year, or yeah, every plus few pay years, increase. And that's guaranteed, right? So, but other people, of course, you shut their business down, and they don't have guaranteed money coming in. So we're not all in this together, and it's not the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a big problem. Yeah, as well as the uh, kind of give like a hall pass, but with just like with blackface, for example, like can you imagine mm-hmm. if Stephen Harper, Aaron O'Toole, Andrew <laughs> Shearer, or even Donald Trump did blackface? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it would have been over for them. Yeah, the yeah, the media. Yeah, day. Canadians. Oh no, you're not going to get passed. We're going to grill you for this. CBC, just give them a pass. It, it's just oh, it, it, can you like for example, Donald? If Donald Trump did that. He, oh, it would be, or the Democrats would be, imp- we're going to impeach him for being racist. That's what it would be like. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of, that, that moment should have been clarifying for a lot of people on kind of the hypocrisy of the society, right? Which is, you know, that's like the most ra- racist thing you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most, not the most, but one of the most. And he did it multiple times, and uh, it didn't really hurt him politically. Right? I mean, maybe they lost a few percentage points. But I think that's also a lesson for the conservatives too, and you know, it's it's they keep chasing scandals, and I understand why you need to you talk about scandals because it it can hurt your opponent, and you can you can try to win that way. Mm-hmm. But they keep kind of chasing scandals, like oh, this next scandal, this is the one that's going to take Trudeau down. Like guys, if you couldn't beat him with a blackface scandal in the middle of an election, <laughs> you know, the Wee scandal and all these other things, mm-hmm. that's not going to take him down. You're actually going to need ideas. You're going to need to push a coherent. Uh, kind of worldview that contrasts what the liberals are doing and they need to pick leaders with charisma right i mean trudeau has whether people like him or not there's a bit of a cult of personality with him right mm-hmm. and you saw something similar with donald trump you know from a, a different political ideology but you know certain leaders uh, they kind of create an aura where they've got core supporters who will support them no matter what trump had a lot of that and trudeau has a lot of that and the conservatives they've struggled to find leaders who can do the same thing so Know, the leader gets in trouble and they don't really have core support and they they kind of they they lose and so they need to i think realize that especially in such a visual era so many people are taking in you know 10 20 second sound bites of information about politics and that might be all they see in that day uh, you need someone who's charismatic in order to win definitely uh, as well uh, going to another well for going back to the what you said about the you need the ideas to to try and get that that part moving Aaron O'Toole seems to think that the ex-VP uh, of Huawei is a good choice to, to lead that campaign for the Conservatives. Yeah, I was, I was very surprised when they did that. Uh, you know, it's it's not like, I, I don't think people think the guy's some sort of agent or something. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't think anyone does. It's not really a national security issue. The Liberals obviously have problems with national security, but mm-hmm. I think with him, it was just kind of the, the foolishness of it and the hypocrisy, right? Because the conservatives and even in question period yesterday o'toole uh, and uh, candace bergen uh they they were very strong on china and they're raising a lot of important concerns and that's been probably o'toole's strongest area right he's very much aligned with public opinion on china he's been very strong on that and so and he's been very critical of huawei and critical i mean you can see tweets from uh conservative mps and senators criticizing the liberals for having hired people with connections to huawei 
And so but you, you kind of undermine that when you hire someone who, you know, spent time working for Huawei in Canada, right? I mean, so it's just and that kind of it was kind of a warning sign of I think what was to come with the carbon tax, which is kind of the arrogance of saying we can say one thing and do another and we expect you to buy it and not point out the hypocrisy. And that's it's not really a good attitude. Mm. I mean, looking at like going into the stack section, I mean, do you see a conservative majority government right now? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I think, uh, I mean, at this point, again, the, the thing with making predictions about politics, it's the best way to look like an idiot, right? Yeah. It's, it's, oh, they've got no chance of winning, and then they win in the last second. You're like, well, I'm on video saying they couldn't win, and they won, so I guess I look like a fool. So that's that's always a problem. Yeah. But uh, I'd say, you know, if, if you had to say what's more likely, a liberal majority or a conservative majority, definitely at this point I'd have to say a liberal. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because they lead in the polls overall, but it's if you look at the, the province-wide breakdown. As you mentioned earlier, uh, the conservatives are doing worse in Ontario, so they're going to probably lose some seats there. And Quebec is really looking like a, a liberal block battle, right? Mm-hmm. The conservatives may be third, maybe fourth place. Uh, they're struggling to resonate there. Uh, Atlantic Canada, they probably had a chance to do well if they actually welcomed Peter McKay uh, into the party after the leadership race, but mm-hmm. it looks like O'Toole and his people went in a different direction on that, so that backfired, and so you, you don't have McKay uh, winning seats there for the party. Mm-hmm. And then in the West, uh, the carbon tax betrayal in the sense from a lot of core uh, Western conservatives that things haven't gone well and that they've been betrayed, that's going to hurt them, right? So maybe mm-hmm. you lose you know, three or four seats. I mean, the conservatives can lose you know, 15 points in the West and not lose many seats, but in a close election, you know, you lose a few in Ontario and you lose a few yeah. in the west maybe a few in bc and that that's could be enough for the liberals uh, to get a majority right the liberals are not far from a majority because their vote is very efficient right you know they could they could win the popular vote by two or three points and probably get a majority so it's it's kind of a problem uh, for the conservatives right now and i don't uh, you know i don't see that changing unless o'toole really you know somehow you know gets some amazing public speaking skills and uh, becomes a very charismatic person you never know i mean it looks like he's lost some weight and i'm not being i'm not making a joke or being critical it does look like he's exercising more he's trying to get himself in good shape so he's trying to be more photogenic which is important in politics whether people like it or not so mm-hmm. maybe that'll improve his fortunes and uh, you know his response on social media to the you know all the people criticizing him for you know his saying that uh, his wife Rebecca had brought him a beer and then he <laughs> joked around and brought her a glass of wine you know that was kind of funny and humanizing so if they do more of that maybe he'll see some better results but mm-hmm. it's not looking good for them right now yeah definitely what I would have done if I was elected leader of ours in O'Toole's shoes I would have if Peter McKay placed second I would have brought him onto the team to to make sure to see what his ideas are to to see what the Atlantic can I mean. Canada 338 is kind of predicting that O'Toole's going to lose seats in Calgary and Edmonton. I mean, what does it tell you when you, as well as Saskatoon, I mean, what does it tell you when you lose Calgary seats as well as Edmonton and Saskatoon? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the problem with chasing voters who will probably never vote for you, right? Like, Mm -hmm. if you're a voter who is, the environment is your number one issue and you want to shut down the oil and gas industry, no matter what the conservatives offer, they're never going to offer something as dramatic or extreme as what the Greens and pure liberals offer, right? So you're going to vote for them. If you're a conservative, if you're if you're a voter who, sure, you're you're interested in the environment and conservation, but you also realize that Canada ruining the energy sector won't do anything for the planet except make us poorer in Canada, then you're going to vote conservative or for nobody, right? Or maybe a splinter party. Mm-hmm. And if O'Toole doesn't give you a reason to vote conservative, then yeah, you're going to maybe stay home, right? 
And that's kind of the problem he's run into is he's done a lot of things that, you know, voters who don't vote conservative, they may like a little bit, but they're still not, not going to vote for him. But voters who are very conservative are going to look at that and say, well, that doesn't I, I don't like that at all. So I guess I, I won't vote for them. And that's kind of the problem he has. Right. And that's I've been writing about that for months is his strategy of kind of abandoning his core voters to chase other voters. The risk is that you lose your core voters and you don't get the new ones. Right. And then you're in really big trouble. And uh, it seems some of the polls show that that's that might be what's happening to the conservatives. I think yeah, it's definitely a thing that uh, was unsettling as well for most of the conservatives in the party was when he when he sidestepped Pierre Polyev as well. Mm-hmm. All right, that was a yeah. I mean, like for for me, for example, I mean, I think the night of Derek Sloan, I fell asleep probably like two hours. I woke up and uh, suddenly Derek Sloan's being ousted from the party, and then <laughs> I, I'm gone for one day, and then Pierre Polyev is getting ushered out of the party. I mean, the only person that I actually think that would actually get back a majority within the next actual election would be Pierre Polyev. He would be, I think that would be a lot of people's first pick for, for leader. Yeah, he's, he's very good at giving speeches. Like if, if you watch, uh, he often on YouTube, he'll post kind of his full speeches, not just clips, right? Like mm-hmm. it'll be nine or 10 minutes. And if you look, you see sometimes like even Block or liberal MPs, they're kind of laughing. Like when he makes a joke, he gets them laughing, right? And that's, it's kind of underrated. But when you can make your opponents kind of laugh and they're not really laughing at him, they're kind of laughing with him in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It's that's not an easy thing to do, and he's good at getting attention. You know, he obviously gets a lot of attention on social media. Uh, for a politician, he's still very young. He has a young family, so so that helps uh, politically as well. And yeah, to to sidestep him, and again, it, it's very strange because, you know, I think you can tell that O'Toole is a little bit desperate. Yeah, I mean, well, he, he side. Well, Pierre, Pierre Polyev is kind of one of like his key players as well. Yeah, yeah, he sidestepped Polyev, and then. Uh, you know, Paulie was talking a lot about conservative policy and the monetary system. And now all of a sudden, O'Toole is sharing tweets of Paulie saying, oh, I agree with Pierre about this issue, right? So it's like O'Toole kind of recognizes that Paulie is more popular than him within the party, and he almost needs to cling closer to him to try to keep the support of the party. So definitely a big mistake uh, to push him to a, a less prominent role, I think. Now, like, like looking last over like the last month, like I've seen – more of Pierre Polyev than I have Varen O'Toole. I mean, I've I've gone to a couple town halls. I mean, I've just scrolling through like my 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 social media feeds. I see more of Pierre Polyev actually engaging with the voters and actually going like with each MP doing their each town hall or, or a virtual meeting or, or a phone call more than Aaron O'Toole. I mean, Aaron O'Toole right now. I mean, all I see from him is that he's meeting with these these different community leaders. I mean. When you when you're a leader, I mean, you really need to connect with your with your riding, with the, your, the people that voted for you, and for the people that will possibly get put you ahead, not just one out of the three, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just it's like you know political skill. I think Polyev is just more skilled as a politician, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's improved. I mean, he was he was often I think uh, criticized for being too partisan and kind of too abrasive. And he's obviously improved his communication. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the hope for O'Toole is that O'Toole can continue to get better at communicating as well. Uh, and that could help him out. But again, yeah, I mean, it's, and this is the, the kind of ego-based problem the Conservative Party has, has too, right? Which is, you know, the best leaders in history are the ones who manage to turn their opponents into their allies, right? Like mm-hmm. you beat someone in the leadership race and then you bring them on board and you work together, right? 
And uh, O'Toole, instead, it seems like it's kind of like, well, no, you know, you don't agree with me on everything, and you're going to be sidelined, or and in McKay's case, you're kind of going to be disrespected and pushed out. Yeah. And it's, if you keep doing that, when you're in trouble, you don't have anyone to defend you, and, and that could be the problem O'Toole had, right? Like, mm-hmm. who wants to defend somebody who wasn't willing to defend other people? Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, the, the, the ego aspect, like, I'm going to win all by myself. You know, if you bring all your former opponents on board and then you win the election, no one's going to care. No one's going to say, oh, well, you wouldn't have done that without your opponents helping you. No one cares. They'll say, look, if you're the guy who beats Trudeau, you're going to be a conservative hero, right? So mm-hmm. this whole obsession with I'm going to win and get rid of everybody else, it's just it's very foolish and it's very counterproductive. Yeah, one part, of, one last point is, as well is that you're kind of like going into like all this. I mean – Right now, just looking at it, we got like a lot of social conservatives within the party, as like MPs wise, are like really being silenced. I mean, like you're ha- are being silenced, and you're having all these MPs privately and anonymously reach out to to media sources like you, Rebel, Post Millennial, and National Post. I mean, like, what does that tell you? When you when you can't even put your name forward because you're gonna criticize the leader. I mean, right there, automatically, I smell fear. Yeah, the Conservative Party definitely has a courage problem, right? And, you know, I said this when O'Toole did the carbon tax flip, in that a lot of those MPs, by not pushing back against it, not only did they show disrespect for their constituents, of course, and their party members, who they had promised uh, that would never happen, but they also kind of disrespected themselves. Because if you look at what people said about O'Toole, didn't tell most of them uh, ahead of time, right? They only found out when the CBC leaked it. So, I mean... That shows a lot of disrespect for your colleagues. So when you're basically mm-hmm. saying, "Look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you beholden to me as I betray a promise to our party, and you're gonna have to go out and sell it, and you're not gonna be able to criticize me," any really self-respecting person should say, "I mean, I'm not gonna let you get away with that. You don't get to mistreat me. You know, you want to be a leader, but you don't want to listen to anybody or talk to people or include people in decisions. That's not really real leadership." And so none of them really did that. The most that some of them did was just uh, not tweet about it. Some of them have just acted like it never happened, right? Like you look in their social media feeds and just nothing. No no support for what O'Toole did, uh, but no criticism either. They're just kind of hoping it goes away. Mm-hmm. And so that shows not just a disrespect for the constituents, but for themselves, right? Like why would you let someone walk over you and mistreat you like that? And then to those people, you say, look, you're asking people to put you in power and say that you can protect Canada and defend our country. But you couldn't even defend yourself. So yeah. I think that's it's kind of a tough question for them, right? Like, why should why should they be trusted if they can't even stand up for themselves? Definitely. What am I? My last question for you is: I mean, current, like, what's like right now? What's like kind of like your overall opinion of like the 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 party at its current standings? Yeah, I think the Conservative Party is kind of at a place where they don't really know uh, what they stand for, right? There, there's clearly. I think there's a internal civil war going on. I think people wouldn't really want to admit it, but there's definitely something happening in- internally. You can see the different factions, right? There's kind of the mm-hmm. the, uh, the O'Toole faction, which seems to be, it will be as much like the liberals as possible and maybe just slightly to the right, or maybe in some cases to the left of the liberals. <laughs> Who knows at this point? Uh, and then there's the, I'd say the Polyev faction. And I don't think any of this is official. I just think it's kind of how it's happening. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the Polyev group, which is like, you know, we should actually... You know, be we should be a modern party, an inclusive party, but we should actually be fiscally conservative, and we should be about reducing spending, uh, reducing the size of government, talking about some of the the danger of overspending and why that's so bad for the country. And then there's kind of the the Derek Sloan wing, right, where he's I guess he's not even in the party anymore technically, but uh, 
there's the the Derek Sloan wing of the party, and that's the more social conservatives and the ones who are saying, look, I mean, whether people agree with social conservatives or not, the conservative party needs them in terms of fundraising and volunteers. And if you take people for granted, they're gonna, they're going to punish you at some point. And so that's kind of the Sloan wing. So again, a skilled leader is able to manage all of those things and keep the party together. But that doesn't seem to be what's happening right now with uh, O'Toole. So it's a tough situation. Now, the thing is, Trudeau, Justin Trudeau, he's he's good at politics, but he's very bad at governing, right? And mm-hmm. at a certain point, that catches up to you. So we can say all of this in the, the trouble the conservatives are in. And Trudeau could just, you know, screw up so badly that people just say, look, I'm going to vote for the alternative, right? And that's always going to be the conservative party, just the way the system is. So maybe O'Toole gets in anyway. But mm-hmm. uh, right now, it doesn't look too good for them. And I think they need to figure out what they actually stand for. Definitely. Just, yeah, just one last point quickly. When you kind of like point out like the, the Polyev faction, it kind of how you see, I mean, they, Poly, Mr. Polyev hasn't really gone so much on social. He's more like more as the economic stance. But um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Spencer. It was a, it was a pleasure to have you on here and it would be great to, to get you back on another time. Yeah, for sure. I enjoyed it. Perfect. Thanks, Spencer. Have a great day. All right. Take care. was spencer fernando the host of the popular media site spencer fernando make sure to check out the next episode of conservative roundup